WENJ, WENJHD, Millville Atlantic City, 97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, hour two of the Sports Bash kicks off now. I'll talk a little Philly Scott Lauber in just a moment here. Phillies Yankees tonight. Vince Velasquez gets the start. But a lot of regulars will not be in the lineup today. Do you like that? I mean, would you have liked to have seen these guys get like, you know, hey, you haven't faced any live pitching in a while. How about getting a couple more extra at-bats before opening day on Friday? Yeah, I definitely prefer it, and it adds more of an excitement level when sitting down watching it. So, yeah, of course I would like to see them be out there, but I think there's enough still in the lineup where I'm going to be watching anyway. But like I said, I know I'm the outlier. I'm going to have a notebook. I'm going to be writing it down. I'm going to be writing down things I love, things I don't like, and I'm a weirdo when it comes to that kind of stuff. Well, you should. I mean, I'm not saying that that's, um, you know, out of line. I think it is. I think the Phillies are missing an opportunity to get their guys some more live at bats here. That's getting live at, like, okay, all the rest of the week in the inner squads and that kind of stuff, if you want to kind of, you know, sit them out for some of those, you're going against another team. Take advantage of these three opportunities is what I'm saying. Do you think Joe Girardi had a conversation with these guys? Like, hey, Bryce, look, you're okay with sitting down? How do you feel? Are you comfortable? I can't imagine him just going with it. And not talking to them first. I don't know. I mean, Girardi seems like the kind of guy, too. Like, he's, yeah, I mean, he might have a conversation, but I think he might say, look, I'm not going to play you. I don't want you guys traveling. I don't want, you know, take the risk. I get that part of it, too. You want them traveling. I guess so. Yeah, you have to look at it that way. It it is interesting, though, because you do think that they're so limited in these live hitting situations. And you can try and mimic it all you want and have somebody else pitch to you that's on your team, but it's a totally different vibe from when you have another team out there. No doubt. I mean, you're getting the opportunity to face another team, and uh, you're only getting three of them. You got one against the Nats, you got the Orioles, and then, of course, uh, you got tonight against the Yankees. Everything after that, you're going back up against your uh, your own guy, so... I get the travel part of it. They probably want it to be a little safe with Bryce Harper. Uh, who else isn't playing? JT Real Muto, Andrew McCutcheon, and yeah. uh, Jay Bruce. Bruce. So you got four guys there that are pretty important to your team, and you probably want to keep them uh, as healthy as possible and not have to make that travel and go through all that stuff. That story with the Blue Jays, too, is kind of wild. Have you seen this? Yeah, I don't understand well, I saw also something about maybe Pittsburgh being in play now. Yeah, apparently PNC Park is one of the spots that they are looking into kind of sharing with the Pirates. Wouldn't that make the scheduling so much harder to have to work around? And think about how they want to make things clean, right? So now you got to add another element of wiping down all of these places involved in the in the ballpark and all. It just seems like now you're adding such a another layer well it wasn't their fault it wasn't like the blue jays said we don't want to play here the government told them hey your country is not you don't have this under control so therefore we're not going to let teams fly here oh i know that i know the canada part of things but i'm saying why are they going to pittsburgh instead of find a place to play well why is apparently buffalo Buffalo, it was in play or it is in play but apparently you know, the lights there aren't major league, uh, up to major league standards, and the clubhouses are a little small, plus the social distancing aspect. They got smaller clubhouses, so they thought that that might not be a good idea. So, I mean, I think Buffalo might be like a fallback option, but they're trying to find a more major league-ready facility that they can play. I mean, 
you know, I don't know the Buffalo Park all that well, but apparently the lights are not like uh, MLB standard. I'm not against them trying to find other places. And you would think travel-wise, Pittsburgh compared to Buffalo, it would help out the rest of the teams that they're playing, it right? Would. So yep. I, I don't – it doesn't bother me that much. It's just interesting that now you have to add another element of the way that people have to clean up oh, the sure. facility. I'm sure MLB is not thrilled that they have to try to shoehorn them into a – stadium and then potentially shoehorn their schedule around another team playing in that stadium. I mean, how many times were the Blue Jays supposed to play in Toronto that Pittsburgh is also at home at the same time so that they might have to play in the daytime in Pittsburgh? That's even if they do end up playing in Pittsburgh. Now, I thought Dunedin, which is where they play their spring training games, was another option, but obviously Florida's got their own problems going on down there, and quite frankly... I don't think that the Dunedin Stadium's lights are up to Major League standard, and the same thing applies for the clubhouses down there. I mean, the Dunedin ballpark is a single-A facility. Yes, it's their spring training home, but keep in mind, it still is a single-A ballpark. It's I've been there before. It's Believe me, if you've been to Spectrum Field where the Phillies play, it ain't Dunedin. Oh, yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying. I think, though, when you look at all of this with Florida, this just kind of sparked a, a little you know, light bulb in my head here when you're just talking about the state of Florida and where they're at right now in terms of the coronavirus. What's going to happen to the Tampa Bay Rays and when teams play the Tampa Bay Rays and you're flying into Florida and you're doing this in Florida and you know, you're in that area, it can really turn the wrong way real quick when you have to travel to a state like that. And same thing that's going on with other states, California, Texas. There's other ones, of course, too. But By the way, big news in California today. What happened? They have flipped their high school football season to the spring. They did? They have. Wow, I wonder if you'll see a snowball effect. I would imagine that once California says we're going to do it, I think other states, because California's got some pretty big-time football, and I would imagine that once a state like California decides to move their football, that most uh, other states will probably change and do the same. Yeah, Texas is obviously one that supports Big high school time. football like it's college football, if not even NFL in some of their areas. So Florida, too. They might be next. Yeah, Florida, too. And I, and, and that this just came down today uh, that the California, yeah, they're going to move all their you know football to the spring. And, I mean... Uh, I, I'm wondering how that's going to interfere with some of the recruiting for those guys, man. It's 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 bonkers. Do you think you see college do that? Well, I'm wondering if California did it with the premise that college is going to end up doing it anyway, so we might as well just you know do it. Either college is going to do it anyway, or there's not even going to be a college well, season. Well, keep in mind, Broads, a lot of other states start their schooling in August. You know, a lot of schools start in, like, middle of August out west. You know, we're very late here on the east where they start school typically after Labor Day because, uh, you know, a lot of the summer here and the the kids are working and stuff. To have them go back to school in, like, late to mid-August is kind of an inconvenience for people. But a lot of other states, they're already back into school by mid to late August. So they had to start making decisions. Now, Murphy came out today and he essentially said that if you have a student and you want to you have the option to not have them go to school if you you can you can teach them from home 
That's interesting. Although you would look at it the way that the parents have kind of acknowledged what's been going on to this point. That's not an easy thing to do to stay home and teach these kids. I get that safety's in play, no doubt about it. You don't want to be sending them to a school with thousands of people that you don't know what they're doing all the time. But it's not easy for these parents to be home and to be teaching them and to do the work that they need to do. And now their jobs come into play. So... That's going to be a tough decision for a lot of families to make. Do they send them to school where you don't really know what's happening with social distancing when these kids are at their own houses compared to keeping the kids at home and trying to get their work done that way? Yeah, I'm interested to see what the next domino, though, is on the uh, decision for football. I think the next one will be uh, most likely. I don't think they'll push it back again. I think the next thing would be a flip of the season. Now, was it only football? Or was it fall sports I, I to spring? I do not know that. Okay. I, I would have to look into that. I, I do know that it's definitely football. I don't know if they just flipped the the sport itself into spring and left the rest of the fall sports there. Uh, we can look that up, I'm sure. By the way, the Eagles have just announced earlier today they signed Jalen Rieger. Today they have reached an agreement with Jalen Hurts, and it says rookie quarterback Jalen Hurts. Is that a little insight like the way they did Jason Peters? Well, what else would you list him as? <laughs> like utility, <laughs> defensive end. Could you imagine wide receiver slash uh, running back slash quarterback slash kicker? You know, all that stuff. Um, all right, so um, I think we're going to do Lauber at the back end of the hour here. He's got some. You know, they're going to. Um, uh, they're in New York tonight. I don't know if. The, see, I don't know if the media is allowed to travel to the games either. I would think, I mean, we don't know what's going on because there's so many empty spots in the ballpark considering no one's there that maybe there is an opportunity for away teams media to go to the game. But you could also see a scenario where they want to try and limit as many people as possible and they go, hey, look, no road media. Sorry, just not not right now. Yeah. All right, so here's the quick story. on. All right, so California is the third state to move high school football to 2021. The CIF made the announcement today as the day progresses, each of the state's 10 sections will make their own announcements about their specific sports seasons. The CIF news release states that it anticipates that most section start dates will commence in December 2020 or January 2021. Under the new sports schedule, section playoffs would end April 10th with state championships April 17th. It doesn't say anything about other sports, just football. Well, I think when we were talking about New Jersey the other week, there was the whole conversation about how women's tennis and men's tennis are on two different sides of the fall and the spring, so that would have to come into play. There's only a certain amount of courts that these students can play on, so I don't know if you have the ability to move all of the sports over to the spring. Now, this has... Um, the, 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 that... Some of the sports, like volleyball, that are fall sports, water polo, cross-country, football, that they're all moving to the, right? It, it appears that they're all moving to the spring, but the spring sports are not flipping to the fall. So, in other words, if you play football and baseball, you're going to have to decide which one you want to play. I mean, I know that would upset some people going, how can you put a student in that situation? Hold on, wait a second. So they're pushing it back so that you could play both football. So essentially they're doing what Tom Williams suggested, right? Yeah. Is that is that accurate? Right. The idea is, is that they're moving back some of the spring sports to accommodate some of the fall sports becoming winter sports, basically. So, right, that's something that Tom Williams suggested um, that we talked about with McGarry about a week ago was – to start 
just have no sports in 2020 and start the winter season at December 26, play like a condensed basketball season, then play a spring football season in the middle, and then play a condensed spring football season, and then play a spring season after this condensed spring football season. So, like, for example, on this schedule, the way it would work is that football would probably begin in January and end in March. Same thing with volleyball. But the problem is if you're an athlete who plays basketball and football, now you can't do both. Yeah. See, the way Tom had it was that you could do all three, but you would be doing all three in, like, a small little window. Well, one of the things McGarry brought up that he is concerned about, if there is no sports in the fall – then what happens with these kids in terms of if they go play AAU? Does that mean they're done for high school sports? Is high school sports, are they going to start losing players because those players are going to play their AAU teams in the in the fall area, and then now high school lose some of their guys for well, good? Then what's more valuable? Is it you playing for the AAU team, or is it playing for your high school team? Well, it depends on each person, how each individual views AAU compared to high school. I also know- keep in mind, one's free and one's not. I was also going to ask you, Hunter. I mean, you you, know, you played hockey for a long time. You know, if your school had a hockey team, but you also had a club team that you played for. It depends for, on the sport, though. Right. Like, like for, if you're playing a club soccer as opposed to high school soccer, I think you would clu- choose the club soccer team ahead of the high school team. Like a swimmer, the club swim team is highly held in higher regard than the high school swim team. Yeah, when I played hockey for the AAU, if you will, that version of it, we would go to Boston every single weekend for all these college showcases. Well, when I played at Gloucester Catholic, we would play Bishop Eustis, St. Augustine, you know, those type of schools, which was great and it was fun, but that's not getting you to the next level. It's more just fun playing for your high school. Yeah, it depends on the sport. Absolutely, it does. Basketball, though, is interesting because AAU basketball is, unfortunately, uh, a necessary, I guess. Do you agree with the idea that if you're good enough, you'll be found? Yeah, I, I think uh, what's happened in the world with all these things is ludicrously preposterous. With social media, if you play high school basketball. What was the story about the kid pitching last night for the Phillies? Seven guys from his school got drafted. Do you remember the school? No. I, yeah, that's my Utah point. Utah State. That's my point. What do you mean? I remembered it. I'm not. No, I'm saying. Well, the fact that you remembered it's great, but he went to some school no one would ever think seven guys got drafted from, and they meant made the mention. Ben Davis said it. If you're good enough, they'll find you. That seven guys. I don't even know if it was Utah State. I think it was like Utah Community College. We're gonna have to get on this. Yeah. but I think I'm right. It was the pitcher, uh, the the reliever, Brogdon. Brogdon. Yeah, look that up. All right, uh, we're gonna try to catch up with Lauber at the back end of the hour. Yeah. All right, Mike and Broad, sports back. Lauber's going to join us at 335, so we'll uh, have him coming up. So we did just pass that news. California high school football is moving, and that will be played in the spring now. I would imagine New Jersey high school football will be following at some point soon. That's just my take. That's not anything official. Uh, I just tweeted out a idea that we wrote about about a month or so ago to save the high school season. And I think a lot of people uh, kind of were like, there's no way. And I think now that you're seeing a state like, by the way, it's not just California. There's other states that have already moved. New Mexico, Virginia, who has pretty good high school football as well. They have moved their high school football. So I think you're going to see a fall season like no other. By the way, we uh, 
told you earlier, Jalen Rieger has signed, so has uh, Jalen Hurts. So the Eagles are starting to get their draft pick signed. This whole thing with uh, football and camp, I mean, some teams were supposed to start getting into camp today. Like, reporting, not like practicing and stuff, but getting there, getting their physicals done. Uh, here's the news from Ann Rapport, by the way. The Eagles and second-round quarterback Jalen Hurts agreed to a four-year, $6 million deal. It includes $1.9 million signing bonus. Interesting to note, he gets a workout bonus in year three and year four, similar to Drew Locke, who was picked 11 spots before him, a quarterback premium. Interesting. Hmm. How he must be uh, working some of his magic there. Well, I know uh, people are going to look at that because year three and year four, that's the year that the Eagles can get out of the Wentz deal is that third year, 2022. For some reason, my gut tells me, though, that I, I understand why you would put two and two together there, and it does seem like that's important, but I don't know if deep down they question Carson Wentz's ability or else they wouldn't have signed him to that type of deal, right? You would think. I mean, You would think. Just like that's like a little bit of a escape clause, and if it, it does, like you're not getting paid to be a starting quarterback right now. But if you end up getting that job in year three and four, we'll give you some workout bonuses. Maybe I don't know. Is this another slap in the face to Carson Wentz? Like, do you think Carson Wentz? Well, he could just shut everybody up and be an MVP like he was in 2017 and put that to rest. No, you're right. He absolutely has the ability to do that, but there's no way that he's sitting here not feeling to some extent, a little backstab for the whole draft night, drafting a quarterback when they could have had some weapons in other spots. Like, you would think, to some degree, whether he admits it or not, he's thinking, what are they doing? And by the way, seventy-five grand and a hundred grand in the grand scheme of things is not a whole heck of a lot of money to these guys. Oh, absolutely it's not. But it's just interesting. It opens up another conversation with the front office and Howie Roseman, Carson Wentz. Are they doing this because they are skeptical of Carson Wentz and they're thinking, well, hold on a second. If he can't do it, here we have Jalen Hurts. And how does Carson Wentz feel about it? Look, that? I don't have a problem with organizations always having another plan. That's what makes good organizations good organizations. Right. It's just good fodder, though, for people to question, oh, they don't believe in him. Maybe they do believe in him, but they just, and this is something that I brought up a lot at the draft. They believe in Carson Wentz. It's easy to say, well, maybe they don't believe in him. Maybe they do believe in him. They just believe in having a backup quarterback more. And Okay, that's not a bad way to look at things, especially with Carson Wentz, who has had injury history. It's just, here is what it is. It's something new. It's a copycat league, and having this second type of quarterback that you can utilize with your actual starting quarterback, it's starting to be implemented throughout the league, so... Are we freaking out about it because it's so different, or is this just the way that it's naturally going to become, and then a couple of years down the road, we don't look at it like it's some crazy thing. It's just normal because teams start to copycat each other. Yeah, I mean, I, I said that before, too. I think you're going to see a lot more teams drafting the quarterback a little earlier, that backup quarterback a little earlier, and saying, you know what, we need better backup quarterbacks, and it gives us a commodity. There's a little bit inside of me, though, that to some degree seems like there's a little bit of disrespect towards Carson Wentz. Just a little bit inside of me that feels he's getting a bit disrespected by it. I mean, like, again, and I could say that's certainly a way that you could look at it is, well, what do you, you got Carson Wentz. You draft a guy in the second round, you give him quarterback workout bonuses. What's that? Do you not believe in your guy? Or it's, no, we just value that position. 
I know the Eagles do value the position based off of if you look at the Eagles organization and backup quarterbacks throughout how many years that they have had big moments, right? They have had big games and they've done enough. Now the question comes in, okay, you might be questioning Carson Wentz a little. You might not. It could just be you value the backup. Do you trust that Jalen Hurts can be that backup yeah, is now and, another and element. See, I think the Eagles value and trust Wentz, but they also have in the back of their mind he's been hurt a lot. Oh, well, no doubt, and I think it would be silly to not have that into the equation, but who's right, to say Right, which is totally that, fair. Absolutely. Who's to say that Jalen Hurts can just walk in? Like, there's, like, this narrative from some people who support the Jalen Hurts pick. You're not one of them, but there are some people who love the Jalen Hurts pick wait, so wait, wait. much. I'm one of them. No, you're not one that feels this way, though. Do you feel that Jalen Hurts can walk in if Carson Wentz goes down tomorrow and win football games consistently? Oh, I don't see why not. I mean, Oh, okay, so maybe you do feel that way. Well, I didn't know you felt that strongly you know about him. Um... Put it this way. Did people in Dallas think that when Romo got hurt, that Dak Prescott was going to walk in there and save their season? No, but I think that you're talking about the outlier compared to what the standard is. Although, th this could be one of those. But here's my but point. I look at Hurts as a guy comparable to what Prescott was. Just a guy who won. He's a winner. You weren't wowed by his throw. You weren't wowed by his arm. You weren't wowed by his, you know, his... Uh, physical traits you were in you were uh wowed by Dak Prescott's intangibles that he just refused to lose he was a leader that's kind of what hurts is you're, there's nothing about him that you're like his arm strength or his accuracy or anything like that that wows you it's just the guy always wins well I've seen a lot of people who always wins in college not really work out in the NFL more so than it, it does when you talk about players who don't have the talent like no, you but mentioned. I think you're talking about yes I agree with that I'm not I'm not saying you're wrong about that but I think you're talking about guys who get drafted higher though like the Johnny Manzels of the world correct Manziel uh Prescott was what a fourth round pick Hertz was a second round pick which is a high value pick but still he might be looking at himself and saying I'm better than whatever quarterbacks were drafted in the first round ahead of him there were four guys that were picked ahead of him right I like Jalen Hurts I think he is mature I do like his mentality with things but I just think it's going to take a little bit of time you mentioned how he doesn't have that cannon of arm he doesn't have that accuracy like you just brought it up and you're someone who believes in Jalen Hurts can do it he doesn't have that type of skill set so well, to that's think the point I'm making though like Jordan Love for instance I bet you Hurts is saying I am better than that guy Oh, right, but just because the Green Bay Packers did that, it doesn't... I'm saying, but, like, he was drafted ahead of him, and, like, there's a lot of times where he has that feeling of, much like Dak Prescott, he's saying... And that's why I think the Dak versus Wentz comes into play so much, is because Wentz was a second overall pick, and Prescott was a, what, third or fourth round? I think he was a fourth round pick, right? Yes, he was later in that fourth round. With so, that's where Prescott's saying... You keep comparing me to this guy, but that guy got drafted number two overall. I was drafted in the fourth round. On draft day, you thought that guy was so much better than me, and maybe he's better, but it's not decisive. I don't think that Jalen Hurts, with where he is right now, if he was the opening 
first week starter that he's ready to carry this team. And that's not a knock on him. That's how hard the transition is. If down the road Jalen Hurts needs to be this starter full time, I would feel better about it because he needs to learn the offense. This COVID-19 is in the play where he's not able to get out on the field. I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback by any means, but I don't think he's ready yet because there's a huge adjustment. So I feel like his work in progress is going to take a long time before he's able to step in and actually provide a legit run if needed in a certain situation if Carson Wentz is not available. I just think that there's such a an adjustment that needs to be made for Jalen Hurts based off the fact, as you mentioned, he might not have the pure talent. So it's going to take a little bit of time for him to learn what NFL football is all about. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's where his intangibles probably take over. You do think so. You think his intangibles are that strong. Oh, I think that's why the Eagles took him in that spot. I think that's why a lot of people started to look at him in that vein, is that his intangibles were something different. It's not because he has a great arm. It's not because he's got this, that. It's his intent. He's a winner. But at some point, you need that big arm. You need that talent. You need that stuff because that's what makes you succeed in this league. You can point out some guys who have worked that don't have it, but numbers and statistics will prove that you need that more times than not. I don't know. What what impresses you about Prescott? Well, I think his leadership is impressive. There you go. It's right. intangible. But, but you, I, I understand, but I said... Which is why he fell to the fourth round. If you use the numbers, though, you will find a lot more guys that don't work with less skill than do work with less skill. Sure, yeah. Having skill is certainly helpful, but I'm saying a guy like Prescott doesn't have something that wows you. His intangible is what stands out about him. And that's why well, he's going to make... Is he? I mean, he's in a that tough position not here. right It's going to be somewhere. That's true. Someone will pay him eventually Put some sort way. of money. He's a top 15 quarterback in the league. I would agree with you. Top 15. Yeah. I mean, some people could put him in the 10, 12. He's no lower than 15 is my point. Wherever you want to put him, you could have him at 3 to 15. He's somewhere in there. Right? Yeah, I would And say basically, so. and most of that is because of his intangibles. That's what puts him there. He doesn't have this great arm. His accuracy is good. It's not great. There's just something about him. He's a leader. That's the kind of mold I see Hurts being in. He might not be at that Dak Prescott level right off the bat, but Prescott walked right in and won, what, 13 games as a rookie? I think there's just more of some growing pains with Jalen Hurts. And COVID-19 is a big role. By the way, Hurts was a better college quarterback than Prescott. I know, but it's hard for me to ever really come. I know that's all you can base it off of, but yeah. there's been miserable more, failures at college He's more advanced NFL. coming into the league than Dak was, put it that way. I've seen a lot of advanced college players, though, not work uh, out. Yeah, but you're you're comparing, like, pocket-passing guys with big arms compared to guys who are more known for their intangibles. You're looking at the guy who comes in Jordan Love, he comes in, he's drafted in the first round, not because of his intangibles, because he's got this cannon for an arm. And that's all he's getting drafted ahead of Dak Prescott, or uh, ahead of Hurts for. Hurts is a way more successful quarterback, but he doesn't have the arm that that guy has. And the team says, I'll take that guy's arm over his leadership. And that's why that guy's going to fail. Well, no, I disagree with That's not why he's going to. I think there's plenty of guys that have big arms that work when they do draft just for skill as well. Jeff George. Into South Jersey's number one sports radio talk show, The Sports Bash with Mike Gill 
on 97.3 ESPN-FM. Football at four with Jeff Mosher coming up today. We'll talk some more NFL. The Eagles have uh, signed all their rookies now. They are going to be ready for camp whenever that is. We'll do that during today's football at four. Phillies summer camp, the final exhibition game tonight. What have we learned over the weekend? What can we learn tonight before their opener on Friday? Scott Lauber joins us as the Phillies get ready to take on the Yankees. It's the last warm-up for them. It's Vince Velasquez going for the Phillies. Scott, welcome back. How are you, pal? Hey, how are you? All is well. And uh, let's start with uh, the weekend that we saw uh, Nola and Wheeler and, uh, you know, the Phillies get a couple of games against somebody else. Did you, Scott, being around this team in summer camp and now seeing them in the two live games, did did we learn anything about you know the team, the roster, the rotation, the lineup? Uh, what did you take from those couple of games? It's hard to take a whole lot. You know, it's like we talk about in spring training. Um, you know, it's a it's a build up to a season. This just happens to be a shorter build up and. You know, I think it was nice to see them play against a different color uniform for a change after uh, a week and a half of, of intra-squads um, where it was Phillies against Phillies and, and all of that. Uh, I think what we learned was Aaron Nola is ready for the start of the season. I mean, if you would re- you know, rewound to about 10 days ago or, or even two weeks ago when he was a few days possibility, he would need more time. I think what you saw against the Nationals was that Nola's, Nola's ready. And um, he faced a lineup of guys that were, you know, most of the Nats regulars were there um, you know, to the extent that they're ready for the season because their camp has been disrupted like so many others by, uh, by COVID and everything else. But Nola looked good. Um, he certainly looks like he's ready for next Friday. I take that as a good sign. You know, I take as a good sign that, and again, you know, find the nearest piece of wood to knock on. But, you know, the Phillies look like their roster's coming together a little bit, whereas some other teams are still dealing with some absences and, and some delays. You, you know, you've got Kingery back playing second base. And as I said, Nola's back. And, um, you know, if they can stay uh, clear of injury and, and illness, um, you know, they look like maybe they're getting over uh, some of their problems right as the season's about to begin. Yeah, and I know, um, I guess... Uh, the the one question that will be uh, left will be what happens with I guess Wheeler who uh, threw he was a little erratic last night I wouldn't say he was his sharpest and I even think Girardi kind of uh, you know made mention of like hey I'll remember his last uh, start that he had over this one but uh, I guess that is going to be a big question mark about what this rotation will look like is whether he will be available this weekend yeah so I in full disclosure I didn't see him pitch last night I wasn't there but I did see Girardi's comments. I did see uh, some highlights. And again, you know, the fact that he ran some deep counts, right? He ran some three-ball counts and probably didn't go as deep in the game as maybe he'd wanted to or, or, or whatnot. I, I think, again, I don't, I don't make that big a deal of that because I think what you're going to see early in the season, both pitching and hitting, is you're going to see some rust. You're going to see some, you're going to see some stuff that doesn't really look as sharp as the first week of the season tends to look. You're going to see uh, what looks more like maybe the second half of spring training, I think, on some guys' parts. And, you know, I don't care how much you've thrown during the quarantine or, or how many pitches you got up to. It's got to be different to face hitters for the first time, you know, really big league hitters, you know, a major league lineup for the first time. And that was really the first time, other than an intra-squad, that Wheeler had done that last night. So, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not that concerned about it. Uh, but as you say, I mean, he's got obviously um, his, his wife is due um, this week, I believe, or end of the week. So that may put his first start into a bit of flux. And I think that's maybe why you're seeing Vince Velasquez pitch tonight uh, as opposed to Jake Arrieta. I also think if they can squeeze in a, a, a Wheeler start against uh, the Marlins in the second game, you know, maybe they want, um, they want you know, Arietta against the Yankees because they know they probably won't get Wheeler against the Yankees next week. So, you know, there might be multiple factors in there. But, uh, and, and then we'll have to see how many starts Wheeler misses, uh, whether it's one start, two starts. There's probably going to be a bit of uh, isolation that goes on after the birth of his baby and, and whatnot before he can rejoin the team. So, um, you know, last I heard, they weren't expecting it to be a, a, a really lengthy absence, but you know, we'll sort of have to see what the protocols state for for him in terms of uh, his getting back. The bullpen is definitely a question mark with this team, and Connor Brogdon came into yesterday's game and was pretty impressive. Do you think that he has potential to make some noise? I do. I think Connor Brogdon. I think Damon Jones. I think these are you know guys who've been in the minor leagues. Uh, had the season started, they would have been in AAA, and I think we might have seen them at some point during the year. And I wrote a story over the uh, uh, late in the week about you know the Phillies and their proximity to the luxury tax. And we were talking all about the luxury tax in January and February and early March before the you know before everything stopped. And and uh, and one of the things I think that you're seeing in the release of Francisco Liriano and they have a decision now to make about Anthony Swarzak. You know these are veteran pitchers that they brought in here on minor league deals. They probably felt when they did that that they would only be able to keep one or two of them from a roster standpoint. Well, now they can probably only keep one or two of them, not only from a roster standpoint, but also from a luxury tax standpoint. They're probably going to end up going over anyway, but um, do you want to go over um, with a, with a, with a, you know, for a veteran reliever who's going to add depth, or do you want to take a shot at a kid like Connor Brogdon or a kid like Damon Jones who are going to come up, not going to make, you know, they're going to make basically the minimum, for the luxury tax purposes. And, you know, they can, you know, if you trust that they can pitch and the fact that they're in camp means the Phillies believe that they can contribute at some point this season. uh, I think you're going to see those guys. And I think you're probably going to see them sooner than later. Maybe you'll even see one of them on opening day with the expanded roster and the expanded bullpen. But, you know, certainly Brogdon has looked good. Uh, Jones is a lefty, uh, tall lefty who Tommy Hunter last year, came back from a rehab assignment and said he saw Damon Jones throwing the bullpen and he thought of Andrew Miller. So, you know, from a physicality standpoint, so, you know, that's pretty lofty comparison. So I think those are two names that you might as well circle because you're going to see them probably at some point and maybe at some point soon. Now, how surprised, I mean, because when I saw Liriano didn't make it, when they, when he got released, I was pretty, pretty shocked to be honest with you. I mean, was that uh, something that you saw coming yourself? Not necessarily. Um, I was a little surprised, too. But I think two factors there. I think he's left-handed, and they, they ha- they're, it's weird in that they have a lot of lefties, you know, whether it's Jose Alvarez or Adam Morgan. Um, you know, uh, they've got Damon Jones, who could factor in. Uh, they've got, you know, they've got a bunch of lefties in that bullpen who could, who could help. Liriano's left-handed, so maybe they looked at that and said, you know, it was more of a surplus situation than a than a guy that they absolutely needed. And then the second part of that is that 
I believe his big league salary this year, had he been in the big leagues, would have been a million and a half. Now, he would he wasn't going to make that in reality because they're all making 37% of their salary. But for the luxury tax, they're still applying the full season salaries to that number. And if they're only about $3 million or $3.5 million under the threshold, keeping Liriano would have eaten up half of that available money. So, you know, I mean, like again, like I say, they might see some lefties in camp who they view as, uh, you know, reasonably priced, alternatives to Liriano and the step down was not in their opinion was not was not all that great Reese Hoskins had two hits last night and right now he can get any confidence uh you know any confidence he can get right now is very solid so how do you feel he is doing to this point I think it's going to be interesting because you know I wrote this story about how he made all these changes to his stance you know he lowered his hands and when spring training started way back in February, um, you know, I, I had talked to him in January and he told me a little bit about some changes he was making. And I talked to the new hitting coach, Joe Dillon, and he clued me in a little bit to the hands, the, the hands adjustment and all that. Then I saw him take batting practice and his hands were way down low. Like he's a guy who's always had his hands up and over his shoulder, basically, and behind his head. And he had them down uh, in front. Uh, and as spring training wore on he they kind of slid upward and a little bit more upward and when it when it ended they were still in front of his body but they were still they were higher than they had been but lower than they were um for most of his career and now i'm seeing them sneak up even higher so it'll be interesting to see uh where he ends up with that adjustment whether he gravitates more toward what he used to do it's whatever i think makes him the most comfortable and Girardi's says he likes the swings that Hoskins has been taking. Um, you know, again, you can only tell so much from intra-squads and even from some of these, uh, quote-unquote, you know, uh, well, I guess they're exhibition games. I was going to say, like, pseudo-Grapefruit League games. But, um, you know, it, it, I think it's going to take um, a little while to sort of a little bit more of a body of work to see, but it's going to be interesting to see if he sticks with that adjustment because that was something he was talking about a lot in the off season. And it's already looking like maybe he's sliding back upward. Maybe that ends up being where he feels the most comfortable. We'll have to see. Bryce Harper hit in the two spot yesterday, although there was no Roman Quinn in the lineup. On Saturday, he hit in the three spot, which is what we saw him do a lot last season. Do you think that the second hole was in play here, or do you think he's probably going to stick more towards the three spot? No, I think it's, it's, I think it's in play. Um, you know, well, that's become a trend in the game the last, I don't know, five years or so, right, that the, the number two spot has become sort of the new number three spot. You always used to think of your best hitter being your three-hole hitter. Mike Trout bats second now, and I think Chris batted second a bit for the Cubs. Uh, uh, we saw Harper do it a little bit last year. Not too much, but a little bit. Saw him do it a little bit in Washington uh, earlier in his career, bat in the two-hole. So, I'm sure that's something Girardi's kicking around a little bit, especially because you've got McCutcheon, his right-handed hitter. It's always nice to come back with a lefty in the two-hole, and then you can do some things. Maybe D.D. Gregorius uh, bats clean up, and you can hit a righty in the three-hole. I mean, there are a lot of things that they could do uh, with that. It, it kind of depends. I, I know that there was some talk last year Harper liked the three-hole. Again, if, if that's where he feels most comfortable, um, there's always other options um, that you can do with that number, with that two hole. So um, they hit Hoskins in that spot a little bit last year. I never liked that much. I always liked him a little bit, 
lower, um, whether it was the four, uh, you know, the cleanup spot or whatever. So lots of different things that they can do. But I do think that that's one of the configurations that Girardi is kicking around. Uh, Scott Lauber from the Inquirer is with us. Philly's getting ready to take on the uh, Yankees. And, of course, uh, this will be the last chance for them to see someone else. And then on Friday, uh, they will open the season for real. I, I want to get your take on uh, Arietta because he hasn't pitched in any of these games. He's not going to pitch tonight. We haven't really seen much of him since spring training. Uh, I remember talking to you back in March or February. It might have been right when they were getting ready, Scott. And you had given us some background on when Arietta has been healthy, He's pitched pretty well. It just he hasn't been healthy enough uh, to get your bang for your buck. Is he healthy, and is he pitching the way he has pitched when he has been healthy in Philly? You know, I've seen him twice now in intra-squads, and he's pitched pretty well both times. The first time he pitched really well, got a lot of ground balls, a lot of early contact, which is what you want from him. You want him to get outs early in the count. I don't really care about strikeouts with him. You want him to sink the ball and get balls on the ground. And he did a lot of that in his first start. He did a lot of that in the second one as well. I think he threw four innings. I think it was Thursday. I think he gave up a run, and it was in the last inning he pitched. Uh, but really, he was in control the whole time. And, you know, the necessary caveat supply, right? It's an inter-squad game, and you really don't know what you're looking at. And, you know, we've seen Arietta look great in, in spring trainings before, and, and then things go sideways. But it is interesting when you look at the last two years and you look at when he's pitched well, and he's had, he has had stretches where he's pitched well. It's usually been where he's, where, when he's been healthy. I mean, the first uh, half of 2018, he pitched very well, and then he hurt his knee. And it, it really, you know, the last six or eight weeks of the season were basically a disaster for him. Last year, he pitched pretty well for the first quarter of the season, and then, you know, the bone spur came up, and it was a struggle for him to get through, you know, three innings, four innings. He wasn't able to throw certain pitches. Um, and, and, again, that's when he had to shut it down because he wasn't pitching very well. So um, if he's healthy and maybe this is, in a weird way, maybe a 60-game season is good for him, you know, because maybe, you know, if he goes into the season healthy and he looks healthy, um, maybe he could sustain that for nine weeks uh, and uh, and put something together because I still believe that, Jake Arrieta is the key to the whole thing for them as far as their rotation goes. You know that Nola is going to give you, you know, uh, a good start most of the time. You know that Wheeler is going to give you a good start most of the time. Uh, Arietta as a three, is kind of a wild card. So if he's, if he's you know, a, a representative average starter in the league, that's a pretty good number three starter. If he's below average, then you've got problems. All right. Uh, well, of course, everybody be keeping an eye on them. The Phillies will be back Friday. They got their final exhibition tonight. Scott Lauber uh, covering the Phils, of course, uh, from the Inquirer. And he joined us, like all guests, on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. As always, uh, great stuff from Scott. As we know, uh, the one other thing with Arietta, as he mentioned way back when, is when he's healthy, he's pitched pretty well. Uh, he seems healthy. If he is bumped back to the four spot, does that make you feel any better? Well, it depends on who jumps into that three spot. Well, it looks like it would be Velasquez. Right. Now, does that make me feel comfortable? Probably not. It just depends on if he jumps out this year and that cutter really is that much of a game changer, then maybe. But, you know, if he's going to be number three, then it just tells me that we have a bad three, four, and five. <laughs> <laughs> right? Isn't that kind of what it's See, I'm telling not, you? I, I, I think Arietta has been a disappointment, but I agree with Scott that when he's been healthy, he's had stretches where he has pitched very well. And I think a lot of his... Uh, 
rocky roads have been because he's been trying to pitch through. Now he's just an oddball. No doubt about so it. So people, I think, that doesn't help when you're trying to evaluate Right. Him. They associate how much of a jerk he can be to his play. But he did mention something that stood out to me, and this is now the second person we had on. We had on Bob from Crossing Broad and now Scott Lauber. Reese Hoskins' plate, um, his approach to the plate right now with this new mechanics he has, people are not intrigued by it. It looks like well, it's they said last night during the broadcast that he had changed it, and then he went back like he kind of scrapped it. It almost seems like. How about even Bryce Harper though? There was the one when he struck out and he switched his his uh, stance in the middle of the at bat. He had a wider base. He does that sometimes. Or even last year, remember he had the funky toe thing, and then he stopped doing the funky toe thing. Bryce, I can live with him changing stuff around because I feel confident in him knowing what he's doing. Reese Hoskins, on the other hand, I don't think he knows what he's doing right now. <laughs> Possibility. All right, on the other side, we're going to talk football, football at four. The Eagles have signed all their draft picks. They are in. They are signed. What will their roles be? We'll get into that and much, much more with Jeff Mosher, who joins us for the Monday edition of football at four. Also, uh, Kevon Wallace signed Jake Driscoll, uh, Jack Driscoll, John Hightower, Casey Tuhill, Sean Bradley, uh, and Jalen Hurt. They all signed today. Jalen Rieger as well. So. 